Hey everyone, and welcome to a super exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly podcast where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host Adam Reck go through a three X-Men stories, and we talk about them, and then we uh, tell you where they rank compared to all the other X-Men stories in the history of X-Men stories, which is a long, illustrious history. Adam, how are you today? I am good. I feel like I just rushed home from elementary school, sat down in front of the TV, and am ready for one of those after-school PSA specials that's going to warm hearts and, and warn me off of the dangers of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We're covering, I don't want to say these are all afternoon specials, but they're all, you know, after-school specials. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. They, they got a feel to them. Uh, and, you know, that's because... Someone on Patreon requested the first story on our list, which is going to be Amazing X-Men Volume 213. And I have a very, uh, very bad confession to make about this. Oh, which is? I was looking. I was looking. I don't, I can't figure out who actually requested this, but I know it happened. I've been looking, I've been looking through all of my DMs on the Patreon.com slash Xavier Files, and I cannot figure it out. So whoever you are, let us know, and we'll mention it in the next episode, but we <laughs> especially appreciate you, even if you will, your name will be lost to the sands of time. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Sorry, mystery I person. I so bad. I spent like 20 minutes digging through all the messages, and I couldn't for the life of me find it, and then my lunch break was over. Well, in mystery person's defense, I, I think this is a, a, an interesting pick. Um, I had stopped reading Amazing X-Men before I got to this point, and then I think I picked it up for the the Wendigo arc, but uh, I had missed this issue, and it's it's pretty good. I think it's got some good stuff going on in it. Yeah, this is an issue called Charm School. It was more or less a fill-in written mm-hmm. by James Tinian IV, who you'll know from DC and writing a lot of Batman stuff, uh, with pencils by uh, Jorge Jimenez who is another uh, guy probably better known for his DC work than any of his Marvel stuff. So it's a, it's a interesting creative team, all things considered. Yeah. And um, the setup is, is pretty simple. And that is that uh, I, am I saying this right? Is it a Is that how you it, say a name? So I thought that for a real long time. And then I heard yeah. other people say it. So then I went on to the Google because it's the name of a lizard I believe oh. it's Anolay. Anolay. Okay, that sounds prettier. Like, I like Anolay. Well, I mean, yeah. here's the thing. It's a <laughs> lizard. It's a real thing. So there is an appropriate yeah. pronunciation of this. Yeah, so anyway, this is a story uh, about Anolay, who is one of the younger X-Men. He is a green lizard boy, mm-hmm. uh, and he is uh, canonically gay, and he is not at the school and our good old blue boy nightcrawler gets worried. Yes. And it, it seems as if North star has allowed, uh, Anoli to play hooky a little bit so that he can go on a, a 
a date. Um, but Anoli is chickening out a little bit and for good reason. I think he's feeling some of the pressures about his appearance and his sexuality. And um, it's up to Nightcrawler, who, you know, has always struggled with his appearance. And Northstar, who has, you know, his, a big part of his storyline has been his sexuality to go and, uh, you know, sort of help Anoli get through this uh this crisis uh, of self which i've got a couple of thoughts on that one Mm -hmm. if i am a tinder date and i don't know that anoli is a green lizard man (laughs) i feel like that is perfectly good grounds to say this isn't my type like Mm -hmm. like that's that's a pretty big thing to omit from your, uh, your profile. Yeah. And it's not just that he's, you know, green, he's got, you know, spikes, he's got elf ears. He's, he's, he's very much a lizard man. His right arm is kind of like this spiky bulky thing. Well, yeah. Cause he got um, his arm cut off in hell and then it regrew. Duh. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, of visual stuff going on here, but he's got a lot of insecurities. And uh, this is complicated by the fact that one of Mastermind's daughters, uh, and this was news to me that there were multiple Lady Masterminds. Yeah, there's Mastermind I, I didn't know and this Lady Masterminds. But then they describe her as being one of multiple Mastermind sisters. Yeah, he's there's Mastermind which, and Lady Mastermind. They're both his daughters. But which... This one's Lady oh, Mastermind, okay. which is okay. the blonde one that looks like uh, looks like Emma Frost from the Bachelor costume. Yes, yes, yes. So which I actually think uh, he's what a is Bachelor the other- design from uh, is she's the she is a uh, Reagan Weingard, not uh, Martinette Jason. Uh, oh, Reagan okay. Is okay. the one that was in. Uh, she was the one that was in the super on the Supernovas team. Man, have we not talked about Supernovas yet? No, I don't think Guys, so. Guys, Supernovas is good, y'all. Go read that. That's not the point here. <laughs> so anyway, Lady Mastermind is uh, getting in the mix here, and that's what provides for uh, you know sort of a conflicting fight scene that allows there to be some action in this issue, aside from just emotional turmoil. Um, and I, I think it works pretty well. What was your take on this so issue? So I've got a couple of thoughts. One, Lady Mastermind yeah. is incredibly shoehorned in here. Mm-hmm. She is in here because the editor got the pitch back and said, I like it, but this is a superhero comic, James. I need like six pages of punching. So find <laughs> room for that. It definitely feels like that because you, you see her early on in the issue kind of sitting somewhere and scheming, but what her beef is here, why she's involved other than she wants to just test her powers out and mess with these guys. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. She's just being a jerk to be a jerk. It doesn't work super well on that. Uh, The other, Oh, go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. We did previously see lady mastermind in uh, all new X-Men being involved in a pretty high level monetary exchange for madripoor correct no no so um was that is that the same mastermind or am i mixing these guys up it is but she wasn't involved in the madripoor thing uh she just mystique used her to steal a bunch of money and then mystique took over madripoor in a plot line that went exactly nowhere okay 
I just, the only reason I bring that up is because at least there, even though now I'm, you know, misremembering it, it seemed like there were higher stakes here. It doesn't really make a lot of sense why she's injecting herself into uh, an always bad day. No, <laughs> no. Reagan is very shoehorned in here. And the mm. fact that her design is exactly the Emma Frost design doesn't help. No, it, they, it they're not. both Chris Bachelor designs, so maybe shame on him. But uh, yeah, uh, the other thing is the besides Annalyde, the main character in this is really North Star. And I've got to tell mm-hmm. you, I don't like North Star. He's a jerk and he's mean to everyone and he's not endearing enough for that to be like an acceptable character trait. <laughs> I've never loved the character either, um, given the the plot of this issue, I think it, it works. Um, it also allows there to be some character development between Nightcrawler and Northstar um, because Northstar is supposed to be on the amazing X-Men team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I, I think it's fine. Um, and we do get a, a nice happy ending here because at the end of the story, um, Anoli does actually get to go to coffee with uh, his date. Um, he works up the courage based on what happens in this issue. So there's a heartwarming ending to this story. Yeah, it's good. It's, I think it's a good intersectional story that X-Men should be telling. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's well executed here. And that's my biggest beef with Mm -hmm. it. Like even Nightcrawler being in here, Nightcrawler, who is the main character of Amazing X-Men more or less, and is one of my personal favorite characters in the history of fiction. He is he feels like he's in this book literally just to have Anole say to North star. Yeah. I don't care that you're gay. You're not like ugly. You're hot. And then Nightcrawler's like, <laughs> yes, but look at me. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Nightcrawler is aggressively attractive, even being a blue fur man. Like that's been one of his defining character traits. It's really not that believable for me. You know, hearing Nightcrawler saying, yeah, but some of us look bad and we could have problems getting ladies either. And if I was a Nola, I'd be like, Bert, you can't talk right now. Are you serious? You wear the deepest Vs at all time because you can get away with it. Well, and there there is a great exchange between them where Anoli's like, so you still got the girl? And Nightcrawler's like, uh, yeah, duh, I got the girl. You know, because, yeah, Nightcrawler is supposed to be the sex symbol in the X-Men, uh, you know, even though he's a blue fuzzy elf and was hunted by villagers in his origin story. It's it's not a one-to-one. One, one one, Man, it um, is super weird that Nightcrawler is a sex symbol. Like, um, well, it's that's, yeah. that's one of the most bizarre things. It, it's not weird that he is. It's weird that we all accept it as normal. Like we just accept mm. that as, Oh yes, duh. That's what Kurt is. Why would you think otherwise? Well, hey, if we can accept the Nightcrawler in this uh, continuity is literally made of hell maggots. <laughs> um, then we can also accept that he is a blue demon tailed uh, sex symbol. Uh, you know, it's just comics guys. Forgetting about the hell maggots. Oh man. Oh, it's so gross. Oh, Kurt. Um, oh, Kurt. But yeah, I think on a larger scale, um, you know, if you're reading X-Men and, um, you know, you're looking for a story that resembles something that's going on in your own life that maybe you're having some issues with, this could be a really valuable issue to, you know, especially a teenager who may be 
having some trouble in the dating scene, feeling insecure about themselves. Um, so I think it's got some real merit. Absolutely. I, I, I love what it's trying to do. I see some issues with the execution of that. Sure. Yeah, it's not perfect by any means, but uh, I I think it's doing some good things. Well, speaking of doing some good things, we're doing some good things by ranking a bunch of X-Men comics on our list. Right now, we have 117 comics, starting with the apparently controversial (laughs) Days of Future Past and going all the way down to the uncontroversial Draco. I didn't think Days of Future Past was controversial at all, but uh, our guest last week sure seemed to think it was um but uh as we noted this issue is not perfect so um where are you thinking about on the list lower than the first five issues of amazing x-men for me uh which we currently have at number 62 that's the quest for nightcrawler where nightcrawler goes to hell i like that one better well i guess everyone goes to hell and heaven and purgatory and yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I do think that this may have more merit than some of the stuff in the '80s, though. I don't, I don't know how low do you want to go. Um, I think the art is pretty good. Uh, I think that um, I, I think there's really a place for stories like this, um, especially for readers who just need to pop in and 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 feel good about themselves and. And maybe get something out so, of it. So I don't think this is better than Brood Trouble and the Big Easy. Okay. I do All think right. it's probably better you. than uh, the uh, issue of Wolverine that is only ranked and remembered because Kurt is naked on the uh, cover and Wolverine has a beer boner. Um. I think that this might make a good 86 because I think that it's better than the... Uh, final sanction Phalanx Covenant. And I also think it's better than the arc of Jeff Parker's Exiles that we covered yeah. recently. Um, however, I might hesitate putting it above the uh, tour of the X Mansion that Kitty Pride Look, that's does. A, that's, a, that's a Claremont Cockrum joint. That's, yeah. that's not a bad solid. company to be in. Pretty that solid. also just got added to that app. Oh, did it? Yeah, it's on. It's on this week on the Marvel Unlimited. I guess. Really cool. I guess as you listen to this, it'll be last week. Mm. But maybe look it up and don't get discouraged that the first chunk of it is a reprint of Giant Size X Men number one. Yeah, keep on swiping, people. Yeah. Uh, so that puts this as our new number eighty-six, Amazing X Men Volume Two, number thirteen, Charm School. Nice. That brings us to our very next story, which is another recent story. We're actually Mm -hmm. staying pretty recent for both of these, or for the first two here. This is Extraordinary X-Men number 17. This is an IVX tie-in. Oh, boy. We don't need to get into our feelings on IVX because I already (laughs) know that that's going to be a future episode. We have it queued up at some point. But... For people who don't know, the Inhumans released a death cloud on accident, and then it started killing mutants, and the mutants didn't love that. So they kind of got into a little fight, and this picks up right before the mutants launched the uh, first real blow. Yeah, and, um, you know, essentially the, the pitch in Extraordinary was that to really cordon themselves off from the evil 
wafting Terrigen mists, which are floating around on the planet, they've moved the, the Jean Grey school to Ileana's limbo. And now inside of this, they've set up a refugee camp. Um, so we have people who are ailing to on the verge of dying from the mists. And that's what the core of this particular issue is about is, is one family um, who there's a, a pair of sisters and a mother. And the one sister is uh, basically on her deathbed, but her dream has been to join the X-Men and meet Storm. Yeah, this is written by Jeff Lemire uh, with some pencils by Eric Coda. Coda uh, is someone whose work I've liked as I've seen it. He's been a fill-in on a handful of X-Men stuff. And I think this issue is his strongest his strongest work. It is so good. There's a moment at the end that is a pinup of Storm. And it is so incredibly powerful. It's one of my favorite images of Storm, period. Yeah. And Lemire is a writer I love. Lemire is arguably my favorite working writer in comics right now. I adore his stuff. He's one of the very few comic uh, comic creators to write something that has made me tear up. Mm. He is a he is one of my absolute favorites. His X Men work leaves a lot to be desired. Well, I don't know, and I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but I think you know everybody recognizes, and including Lemire, in a certain interview that we did see that he was under a lot of pressure with editorial mandates to get from point A to point B to point C before exiting. And, um, you know, it's nice that we have this particular standalone tie-in story. Um, but I, I do feel bad that it had to be shoehorned in as part of the IVX crossover. Um, because I think if Lemire didn't have those pressures, it would have been interesting to see where he took the book in different directions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because his run, and I said this while it was coming out, his run feels so held back and restrained and not like the Jeff Lemire that you'd even see at other comparable Marvel books at the time. Mm -hmm. This His Extraordinary X-Men run feels so much worse than his Old Man Logan or his Moon Knight, both of which were excellent books that played around with a lot of good ideas and felt like more traditional Jeff Lemire comics that are kind of sad, make you think and have a real human heart to them. And that's something that was missing from his X-Men stuff. And you got it in bits and pieces. The stuff with Spana, uh, Spanya, for example, or whatever her name is, uh, the girl that lives in Ileana's sword now that we just don't talk about. Uh, <laughs> Sapna. Is that right? Sapna. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Man. Someone should someone should bug Matthew Rosenberg and say, "Hey, Matt, does uh does Magic still have a kid living in her sword?" I would be shocked. We haven't. I would be shocked if Matthew has not thought about that. He's got to. Oh, he's about. got to know, and I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the answer is, we're just gonna ignore that. <laughs> we're just gonna ignore it right now. Yeah, or, that's a or weird in his weirdly big plot. He's got point. something cooked up that would that would solve that particular weirdness. Um, but you know, given all of the, the editorial mandates that surround Lemire's run, it's nice to see a standalone issue like this, where we start to delve into, and there was a, a, a short, 
brief story in a in the recent X-Men Gold Annual that got into this as well. And the idea is that the X-Men don't exist in a bubble, you know, that they are well known, they are famous, and they are adored by certain parts of the population, even if they are despised by others. So this little girl who's, um, you know, suffering inside this tent, that's all she wants. She wants to meet her idol and, uh, you know, be a part of the team. And she gets, gets to have that wish granted before she passes. And it's, it's a really powerful, quick story. Yeah. What I think, I think the story works really well. I think, uh, you know, Alicia, who's the uh, sister and Lucid, who is the X-Man who passes away. I think they're very powerful characters and you get a lot of, you get a lot of the story of the mutants who don't get to be people who run around and fight supervillains all the time. Cause you get Alicia trying to find storm and obviously the X-Men are going through a lot right now, but she can't get the light of day or the time of day from any of the popular characters. Glob Herman won't even talk to her. because She's not <laughs> part of the click. Like it's, it's very resonant and it makes you rethink the X-Men's particular role in, you know, the mutant society is large. And I think it works really well. It's a, it's a well-constructed story. It reminds me of so many Jeff Lemire things because a lot of his work outside of X-Men is tinged with loneliness. Like there Mm -hmm. is a, there is a uh, series he did called Essex County, which is about several generations of a family in Canada and the whole thing he you know writes and illustrates it and the whole thing is just it's this moving human portrait filled with lonely lonely people and it's i don't know you get a lot of that jeff lemire in this story which i love you don't get it a ton in the rest of his run but in extraordinary x-men 17 he does a real bang-up job of it yeah, I um I really appreciate that there's um you know like the Alex Ross Marvels approach Busiek um you know there's a couple of there's one panel in particular where uh the sister almost gets it looks like she's almost getting stepped on by Cerebra uh the giant sentinel who's who's a member of this lineup and uh I I like this approach. I think we were talking about this during the um the X-Mansion episode, what was that, two episodes ago, that fish out of water stories in the X-Mansion are few and far between, but fish out of water, um, you know, or or strangers interacting with the X-Men are also few and far between. So it's nice to see just how weird this team is, how stuck up this team might be without realizing it, um, just to your average person. And uh, Storm gets a chance to kind of redeem herself in the eyes of this kid who sees her for every aspect of her personality. Yeah. And to me, this right here, take everything else aside. This is the moment where IVX does not become a, you know, both sides have good points conflict. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was Lemire's entire point in this is that, this is not a one side is has valid points and the other side also has some valid points. This is as cut and dry as an event comic can get. The Inhumans are 
through their negligence more than anything else. They are causing deaths of children who are innocent, who have nothing to do with anything, and they refuse to stop it. And the the righteous fury that Storm has in the last, like, five pages of this book after Lucid passes away, it's some of the best written Storm stuff in years and years. It's so good, so powerful, and it just, it reminds me how excited I was for the start of IVX and how mm-hmm. utterly disappointed I was by the end. <laughs> Well, without getting too much into the miniseries, I think you're highlighting what some of the core issues with that crossover were. But when we actually cover it, I think we can get more in depth. But you're right. There's a lot of buildup in this issue of like, things will never be the same, blah, 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 blah. Well, okay. Well, they are. Um, But uh, yeah, very quickly, they are all the same. (laughs) Yes, yes. But um, this is a standalone to get you get you pumped up. Uh, for the crossover is really effective. Um, I will say that I don't know that I'm um, super hot on the art here. And I, I, I think part of that is not the layouts and the perspectives of the panels, which I think are done really, really well. Um, I, I think part of my distaste for this might be um, the coloring of this issue. There's, there's a certain technicolor quality to some of the panels that I don't think really matches the mood of the story. It depends on the page, you know, um, the end of the story, you know, there's that double page spread, the crackoom of um, storm calling down the lightning and the thunder, which works really, really well. But there are some pages here that just, I don't know, it looks rushed in, in areas and um, it's not what we're used to seeing in an X book. Um, I don't know how much of a real issue that is. I think it's still a pretty solid issue. Um, yeah, personally, so maybe we should, I, yeah. personally, I'm a fan of this art, but I, I can understand why people wouldn't love it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not, if you saying that I didn't like the art in this, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I get it. I disagree, but I get it. There's plenty of artists who are, you know, that I love that there's people who don't like or don't like it. And I can't argue with it all that much. Yeah. I, and, and just to be clear, like there's some really smart layouts here. There's some really smart perspectives in the panels and it just, I don't know, there's, there's an unfinished quality about some of the panels and some of the coloring. Like there's a panel with forge that kind of looks like his chest is, you know, just kind of like scribbled in and mm-hmm. uh, there, I don't know how f- fast the turnaround was on this issue. Um, Cause I know that that's a limitation, but uh, it seems like maybe there was a quick deadline here that they had to get this one in. So let's talk about the list. Yeah. I have where I'm looking on the list, but I'd like to hear what, what do you think the, the, uh, the floor for this is? Where do you think, where do you look on this list and say, well, I know it's better than that. Um, I'm looking in the seventies as sort of like the lowest. I think the storm writing here is very strong. Um, I like the sort of make a wish aspect of the um, outsider family coming into this. Uh, I think it's a really strong intro and build up into the IVX crossover. So mm. is it better than uh, that bar issue of Excalibur? Which is at 75 right now. Yes. 
but I don't know if it's better. I, I did really like Negative Zone War. I thought that was fun. So I, I don't know if it's better than that. How high did you want to go? I think it's better than like, hmm. That's uh, not better than Snap. I I don't. I think my ceiling would be the Web of Spider-Man Annual Number Two, which is okay. that time that Warlock becomes a Godzilla. Yeah. Well, and well, let's let's work our way down. Um, there is no way that this is better than the Jim Lee stuff around two seventy-five of Uncanny. Um, is it better that than is Men? Just... Oh, it's that's. I think there's I think a strong case like... to be made. Because that yeah, is a I, goofy, silly one that we liked, but this is more powerful. Yeah, I think... And it I, may I be can, better than Continuities, too. Look, I've, I'd rather re- reread this than Continuities. Continuities is fun, but it's more weird than anything else. Uh, All right, well, it's got a great high concept, but yeah. Yeah, I can't stomach putting it above the, the 275 stuff. But um, I think we're in the right realm there. So maybe this should be our new 68. It should be. Man, that stuff around 275, which we really should have given a better title, has become an odd like barometer on this list. It is, it is the story that we judge other stories by. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how these things sort of become um, signposts as we go through this process. Yeah, so that puts Extraordinary X-Men number 17 as our new number 68 on this list. Good showing, good showing. Nice. We've got one story left. And there's yeah, there's and some background is... behind this story. So this is a story called X-Men, or the X-Men in Life Lessons. This is written by, at the time, current Uncanny X-Men writer Joe Casey and uh, artist Jean-Paul Leon, who we've talked about on this podcast before. I really like Jean-Paul Leon. Uh, and it was done in tandem with an organization called the Starbright Foundation, uh, who they are a group that helps, uh, you know, a charity that helps out uh, children who have, you know, de- debilitating diseases and helping, helping them cope with them. So this one was specifically set up for children who were burn victims. And it was printed in both English and Spanish and distributed for free to burn centers, hospitals, support organization, burn camps, and schools. Uh, trying to, uh, trying to you know, just get this message out there to kids using some very popular characters. Uh, one... I, I want to just pull a couple of quotes that were in the initial press release for this because I think it speaks to the intent of this book. Uh, Steven Spielberg, who's hold on, I didn't I didn't check this name beforehand. <laughs> you didn't know is the Steven Spielberg? I don't know if it's the Steven Spielberg. It, this may it be is. the this is the Steven Spielberg. So that one, yes. Yes, it's the uh, so, Steven Spielberg and the General H. Norman Schwarzkopf, which took me by surprise when I flipped this open. So this has a good uh, this has a good pedigree as far as this charity being filled with some pretty high up people. I feel like in this uh, press release, though, they would say Starbright Chairman Emeritus Steven Spielberg. You know the guy from E.T. 
<laughs> I, I think his reputation precedes him. Well, there's so I've run in, we ran into this situation with the last uh, with the last essentially charity comic we did on this, the Heroes for Hope, where the logo was designed by Janet Jackson. No, not that one. Not that Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson, the uh, the logo designer who's done many Marvel logos. That one threw me for a loop the first time I saw it, too. So this one is actually that Steven Spielberg. Yes. Uh, yes. Which, that's, that's news to me. But uh, what he says is, we are very proud of this book and hope that after reading it, kids realize that being a hero has more to do with what you do, what you say, how you think, and how you act than it will ever have to do with how you look. And... Uh, EIC of Marvel, Joe Quesada, said, when Starbright approached us with this idea, we realized the perfect characters to deliver a message of self-acceptance for the X-Men. As mutants, they have learned to do good despite being labeled as different. And, like, so I'm not going to be mean to this comic because that's so much nice things. And also, it's not really a comic that deserves a ton of ridicule based on content. It's really good. Yeah. I, it, you know what's interesting about... Okay, so let's let's just give a quick synopsis of what happens here. Um, the main character of this book is a new X-Man, um, a high schooler by the name of T-Ray, uh, who has... His name's Terry. Can we call can it we, can we, bio can we... vibration powers? What a... Yes. He... What's that? He, is, uh, he has the same powers, essentially, as a anarchist from... Uh... From uh, friggin' ecstatics. Oh yeah, yep. They're so, drawn the same um, way. The beginning of this story. Also, his code name is T Ray, and his name is Terry, which I think is a weird Silver Age thing that maybe doesn't need to be in this very deep comic about burn victims, but I do kind of love. <laughs> yeah, it's simple. Um, the story opens with um, Scott, Logan, Gene, Nightcrawler, and T-Ray fending off a Sentinel. Um, and, you know, T-Ray's taking some risks here and Nightcrawler has to bail him out. It's a, it's a scene that's it's eerily similar to mm -hmm. uh, the one in Worst X-Man Ever, um, but taken in a, as a much more serious thing. Um, and after a heart-to-heart -heart with Professor X, T-Ray decides he's got to train a little more hardcore. So he goes solo in the danger room. Nightcrawler has not fixed some electrical issues there. And it causes Terry to get some pretty nasty burns um, that extend up to the yeah, right side of his face. I wasn't sure what to expect with this comic because I picked this up at a con in a quarter box. Like I said, oh, I've never seen this. This gets added to my pile. Mm -hmm. This gets added. This gets added. And then I moved on to issues of Marvel Comics Presents. But I, so I wasn't sure what to grasp when I, you know, was reading this in between weird issues of what if. But they don't pull any punches. They legitimately don't. It's, it's a heavy story. Because after all this, Terry has to go, he it leaves is. the X-Men. He doesn't want to deal with the way that he looks and he leaves the X-Men goes back to school because teenagers are terrible. He has a really rough time at school gets, you know, picked on because of this. And then, uh, then uh, Magneto shows up and tries to recruit T-Ray 
to join his brotherhood because he's like, well, you're disgruntled and humans kind of hate you. Also, this seems like a really good way to get back at my ex. Uh, and then the X-Men stop and T-Ray decides, no, I want to be an X-Men. I like, I care. And you know what? Screw it. I look the way that I look and that's going to be what it's going to be. And that's not going to stop me from being the person that I want to be, which is a very like, remember how we said that X-Men Heroes for Hope was very well-intentioned, but not well-executed? This is both. This is both well-executed yes. and well-intentioned. And I appreciate that a ton. It is. Um, I think if I take any issue with uh, the story at all, it is a little strange that Terry does go back to the X-Men at the end of this story, because the arc is that, especially right before Magneto attacks, um, Terry's actually making some progress at mm -hmm. his local high school. He's starting to befriend people. He's standing up for himself against bullies. He's joking around, um, you know, making a joke about hamburger meat and, and his burns. Um, so, Wait, okay. 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 Can we, can we, I, I did not write that down, but can we come back to that for a second? Yeah, let, let's, let's get into it. Cause it's an interesting moment. That is the boldest choice that they could have made in this. And I feel like it absolutely lands, especially at their target audience, because you know that kids who are going through this, because again, children are just absolutely the worst, worst of all humanity. They are going to be jerks to these kids who are going through this kind of stuff. But this is a way to say, hey, look, at a certain point, you're going to have to accept what you are and how you are in maybe you can't joke around that with all that stuff and maybe life's not going to be perfect, but you need to find a way to accept that this is your reality now. And humor for a lot of people is one of those ways. And I, I am shocked that this is in a, you know, a comic like this that is, you know, just supposed to be, you know, a charity thing. And it's, I, I really liked that moment. I thought it was a very good touch to have Terry like feel that, no, nope, you know what? I'm okay with me. Yeah. And um, I think that's an important distinction that this is not like the elementary school guided uh, smoke screen issues that you might've gotten with uh, storm Luke cage and Spider-Man when we were kids. Um, there are moments in here where I, and I'd be interested to know, background wise, whether Casey was given pointers by Starbright in terms of things they'd like covered in Terry's progress, because it does happen quickly over a couple of issues, but he does, he does implement some strategies, um, that a burn victim who is in this situation could actually use, um, in terms of standing up to bullies, reaching out and trying to make new friends and communicating with people that, you know, this could actually be something useful to someone who's going through a similar experience. Yeah. And I think, can I, I think the biggest thing on this is this, this came out, uh, you know, was written in 2002, came out in early 2003. You don't get a much better team than Joe Casey and Jean-Paul Leon on any comic like that's going to be a comic I'm interested in period. So bringing legitimately their a team 
to this. Yeah. Works wonders because um, it looks fabulous. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of Jean-Paul Leon's uh, art. I know other people probably aren't, but it sets the appropriate mood for this story. It's, it's a story that could not have been told before the Morrison revamp of the X-Men line. It wouldn't have felt, it would have felt schlocky before this, but this was the right time to tell a story just like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, I know we've spoken very highly of, of John Paul Leon's uh, artwork before on the show, but you know, even just to pick this up, to take a look at his artwork here, it's excellent. He does an amazing job with all the characters, um, the expressions that Terry, you know, is on Terry's face as he goes through these situations. Um, it's very realistic, you know, and, uh, it's done so well. Oh, and even just a, a simple page where he uses his powers to shoot a basketball through a basketball hoop before Magneto attacks. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous page. Yeah. And the, the design, especially for T-Ray, like he starts out just being a kid, but he's wearing like a Morrison uh, jacket, but it's Mm -hmm. like a jacket vest and some cargo shorts. And then when he, uh, when he goes through his burn thing, he has uh, his hair is a heck of a lot shorter. He's got some pretty cool superhero looking goggles and mm-hmm. some fly kicks. Like he <laughs> doesn't look out of place on the cover. If he showed yeah. up in X Men, like, oh yeah, this is this is this is what X Men looked like in two thousand three. That's okay. It looks yeah. good. Yeah, it's very well executed and um, one of the better sort of you know PSA ish. I don't know if I really want to lump it into that because it's not really preachy, no, but it, it, like I said, it does help. It would help someone strategize what to do in these situations. It is something that has a very specific message and a very specific point that it's trying to get across. And it does it with flying colors. Like this is a comic that y'all should read. It's very tough to find because since it was given away a lot of places, it means it was thrown away a lot of places. But go go search this one out. It's like it's one of my favorite long box diving finds that I've ever had. This short little thing. It's so unique. It's so well crafted. It's a it's a fun thing. I will say also added bonus here is that if you pick this up, um, let's say you, you know, you're at a hospital or something and this floated into your possession. This is also a pretty solid introduction into the X-Men. Oh yeah. Um, you get a great portrait of, you know, core members of the team, uh, the danger room, professor X Magneto. So you get a pretty solid sense of what the team is like. So this could be, uh, you know, a gateway book into the, you know, getting into the X-Men. So smart strategy on, on Marvel's part to, uh, to partner with Starbright in this circumstance as well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say we've said plenty about this. Let's, let's throw it on our list. Uh, I think this was going to go at a, at a good, respectable place on this list. I would say right now our our number 50 is the Inferno Exterminators arc. And I think this is better than that. And I love Exterminators. Hmm. Um, Yeah, let's see. Right above that. That's at number 50 right now. Right. Above that, we've got... 
Howard the Duck. That is the X- Did we put that Howard the Duck arc above the X Men and X Factor Inferno? <laughs> That's why people are mad at us. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, it's obviously right, but this is probably not as good as Inferno. I, I don't think I would put this above Uncanny Two Forty Four Ladies Night. No, um, I. Well, let's let's get the uh, the elephant in the room here. Is this better than X Men X Factor Inferno? Oh no, no, no! I don't I don't think it's that. I think this okay. is a good one-off, well-crafted thing. I I don't think it's as good as Inferno. A lot of this stuff's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're talking about like a lineup here that's pretty strong. Um, I, I really like that X Factor issue, the Christmas issue, um, with Bobby making the um, the ice Christmas tree on top of the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you're not as hot on the initial arc of Peter David's X Factor, 71 to 75. Yeah. Would you slot this in above that? Would I slot this in above that? Yes. Yes. I I would. Adam, would you slot this in above that? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I think this is a really good, um, solid issue that is doing a lot of things right. And, um, you know... I. I really enjoy those issues of X Factor, but I, I think this is a, a more X-Men story than than that X Factor is. Yeah, so uh, yeah, take that, Peter David. <laughs> Entry the list in our new number 49 is X-Men Life Lessons. But guys, go check out this comic. Steven Spielberg helped make yeah. it, or at least helped say <laughs> words about it. That's bonkers. That is, that is, that's like a CBR article waiting to happen. Is it any more bonkers that, you know, like the last time I've thought about Norman Schwarzkopf was in the 90s with the Gulf War? I mean, I mean, that I would be the, the last appropriate so time to really talk to think about him unless you're <laughs> looking at like best of Chris Farley SNL compilations. And even then you have to get kind of deep into the best of Chris Farley. Yeah, I guess I, I don't remember the last time that his name has popped into my mind. So anyhow, um, wow, I we we got through three. Yeah, we got through three. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thank you, guy whose name I am so sorry that I forgot. I'm sorry. I looked. Sorry. I I promise. I looked. I looked and I failed real, real dang hard. Uh, but thank you for going over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and pitching in as little as $2. That helps everything happen here in, uh, you know, Battle of the Atom and the other associated Xavier Files Media Empire projects. Uh, you can find this show and everything else at XavierFiles.com. That is also where I've got some articles, some X-Men news, some stuff and some things. Go over there. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at XavierFiles. Hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, the last page of the search for Bishop Jubes came out this past Monday. So if you want a print copy, um, you guys know that I periodically do the zines. Um, you can get one for just $1. I'm doing black and white, uh, zines and one buck will pay for your copy and postage. So if you want one of those, um, you know, you can always go over to, uh, Twitter and just hit me up. 
there, or you can go to my big cartel store, which is adamrec.bigcartel.com. Um, it's just one buck. So if you got an extra dollar sitting around, uh, this, this could be a fun little thing you could get in the mail and, uh, I'll send it off to you as soon as I get the order. Yeah, it's good. Mine, mine came in. I was very excited about that. Uh, and it's <laughs> super cool. Turns out Balliam's pretty, uh, not Balliam, shoot, Vision Jubes is very good. Uh, so Thanks, that does it for this week. Next week, we have a special, special guest. Because do you know why? Uh, well, tell him. Tell him why we have, what we got going on. Uh, we got X-Men editor Jordan D. White coming to uh, talk, talk to us about X-Men. And uh, considering today that New York Times article about the wedding came out and the solicits about uh, blue and gold came out and we know what X-Classified is, we got to revamp our questioning pretty substantially but no it's gonna oh yeah it's gonna be good i'm really looking forward to this uh but until next time this has been battle of the atom we hope you survived the experience Anole. Anole? Anole. Hooray. E or A? Anole. Anole. Okay. Anole. So Anole, I guess. So should we just skip the pronunciation part and jump right into it?